Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We are live in the Morton studio today. On our show today, we're going to talk a little about pulling your own soil tests and just soil testing in general. If you've got any questions for us about that or anything that's going on in your farm, we'd love to talk to you. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. So today I'll, I'll just tell you a little bit about my morning. One of the things that I had sent out to all of our people is just some more information about COVID and the riots and dicamba. And, you know, I was just thinking about it too, even so, like even growing up and, and for many years, I literally never watched the TV news. I've watched more news in the last three months than I have in my entire life. And that's no joke. And it's only because um, a lot of these things are now unfortunately pertinent to our farm and our business and everything else. But it's depressing. And, you know, what I always felt like growing up and even as an adult, sports and for that matter, agriculture were kind of my getaways from the uh, all the news and politics and all the things that can literally just drag you down and depress you. And unfortunately, a lot of that stuff is all spilled over into sports, into agriculture, into almost every part of life. So that's the last I'm going to talk about it today. I just think that too often in life, we get bogged down with all these other things and we don't focus on the things we can control. The most important thing in your field is probably drainage, but right after that, it's soil fertility. It's fertility for your plant. You're in control of that. You are in control. So we can always blame the hybrid. We can blame the weather. We can blame all kinds of other things. But most of it's on us. Most of it's on us. We just have to figure out how do we do better with soil fertility. Just as an example, when I talk to almost any of the really high-yield farmers in almost any country around the world, we spend probably 90% of our time talking fertility. It's not variety selection. It's not, you know, well, which herbicide are you using or fungicide or biological or any of that stuff. It's fertility. We've got to properly feed the plant. Just like human beings, we've got a proper, when we properly feed human beings, the human beings are healthier. When we properly feed plants, the plants are healthier. So I'll give you, but as we start the show today, and we're talking about soil testing. I'll, I'll give you, uh, let's, let's see, I got three things here that I, I want to talk to you about right away that I think are unbelievably important. These are, in my opinion, the three most important things. First thing is, how do you actually pull a soil test? What I want you to do, if you're doing this testing yourself, or for that matter, if you have somebody else doing the testing for you, here's how I want it done, and I'll explain why. And uh, by the way, I should, get, I should tell you point number two. Go to smaller zones or grids. Okay, use smaller zones or grids. That will be better so you can figure out how to kind of even things up in your fields. Uh, and we can talk more about that throughout the show. But anyway, I don't care for, just for, for this purpose here what size your grid or zone is. But how I want you to soil test always, always is mark a GPS point. Okay, so it could be inside a one-acre grid, a quarter-acre grid, a two-and-a-half-acre grid, a five-acre grid, a 10-acre zone. I don't care, but you've got to mark a GPS point. And the reason why is you want repeatability. 
I want to go back to that GPS point forever. And then I can track how am I doing? Am I getting better? Am I getting worse? Also, I can match up my yield data from that point because you got yield monitored data from that point or really, really close. So it's very important to soil test from GPS points. So what I encourage you to do is drive your vehicle up, whether it's a pickup or four-wheeler or whatever, you drive your vehicle up to the GPS point, you get out of the vehicle, you pull two to three cores on each side of the vehicle. So in total, you have eight to 10 soil cores. It literally took you less than a minute. You throw it in the sample bag, bam, you're done. That's how you soil test. Okay. I already told you small zones and grids. That's point number two, at least once. I'm not saying you have to do it forever or anything like that, but at least once. Do one-acre grids. Try it. You will see what I'm talking about. If you're on five-acre, you're on composite sampling, you're doing 10-acre, whatever, you will see what I'm talking about if you do one-acre grids just simply one time. Okay? And then hopefully even just after that one time, you can even things up. Last point, third and, and most important point here is this. When you have your soil analyzed, run complete soil tests get everything. Get soil, not just soil pH and NPK. That's not enough. You need to know what the cation exchange capacity is. You need to know how much organic matter you have. You need to know what your secondary and all the micronutrients are. What are those levels? Because yes, it, your boron level is certainly not as important as your nitrogen level if you're a corn farmer. But for a lot of us, we've been trained since we were kids on how to fertilize with nitrogen. And I think for a lot of us, um, we are getting enough nitrogen out there, at least that's certainly what a lot of our studies have found when we've done extensive plant tissue sampling on fields all over the Midwest here in the United States. A lot of people are doing a great job with nitrogen. Okay, so here's my point. Could I spend five more dollars on boron or should I spend five more dollars on nitrogen? Which one would pay better on my farm? If I got five more dollars I want to spend, where should that money go? And that's the problem. In a lot of cases, we don't know. We guess. And when we guess, that means that we got a really good chance that we're going to be wrong. A really good chance we're going to be wrong. I want to figure out on my farm, and I want to help you figure out on your farm, where should your fertilizer dollars go? So it all starts with we want to pull soil cores correctly. We want to have smaller zones or grids. So we're not looking, so we're looking at the right data. And then we want to run complete soil tests so we can just look back at okay i got whatever it is 15 factors or so on my soil test and i say all right where should my dollars go first where should my dollars go next where should my dollars go next and figure it out that way instead of just getting a npk recommendation from somebody trying to sell you fertilizer because that's what they have in the shit that's not right that's not good for you that's not good for your soil that's not good for your profitability so we'll talk about pulling your so your own soil tests or just soil tests in general all throughout the show today. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. 
When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Oh, my goodness. Did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rows? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean, weed-free his entire field looked. I'm, like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetuo. And it's burned down and long-lasting residual powers making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetuo's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. Broadcasting today from the Morton studio, and if you've got a question for us, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. Talking today a little about soil testing, and first on the show we've got Brent Bruland. He is with ETS, Environmental Tillage Systems. Brent, how you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Brian? Excellent. So I, I, as I was thinking about this during the break, I thought, okay, do I have any good questions for Brent? And I thought, you know, the number one question I get when it comes to strip till is, how do you pull soil tests? We get that question, I would say, every single soils clinic we do. So when you get that question, how do you respond? How do you tell a guy who's been in strip till for a few years how to soil test his ground? Well, it depends upon how many times I've been asked that question that same day on how short or long my answer is. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we, we get that very often, and the answer is one word, consistency. I mean, there are research tests and different results out there that have shown, you know, pull two in the row or in the zone and three out of the zone or 17 out of the zone and one in the zone. And any scheme that you get, you can counteract with another research report. So our answer is be consistent. Do it the same every year. Um, it may take a year or two to get your baseline where you think it should be. But um, if you're consistent and do your sampling the same way every time, you'll eventually, you know, come out with something that, is very meaningful. So Yeah, what I always tell people is, look, if you're fertilizing in the zone, in that strip, roughly what your crop is removing, then it's not going to matter. We've done a lot of studies with that. Now, if you're trying to build in the zone, well, then it's going to be higher there. If you're trying to deplete in the zone, then it's going to be lower there. But if you're just trying to use crop removal, and that's typically what we're doing in strip till, then it doesn't make a lot of difference. So that's one of the ways you can handle things. Okay, the next question with that, though, is... Let's say I've, I've really set things deeper, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting some fertilizer way down deep. There are a lot of guys that will pull 4-inch cores or even 6-inch cores, but should a guy be pulling 8-inch cores if you're putting fertilizer down to 8 inches deep, let's say? Well, I mean, when you get that question, how do you respond to that one? 
Well, again, it's the same thing. If you're going to put fertilizer eight inches deep consistently, you'll probably want to do some sampling eight inches deep consistently to know what, you know, is it having an effect? Is that fertilizer moving? Is it getting removed by the crop? Um, you know, what's happening to that, the stuff I put in last year? And and to compound that, you're probably next going to ask, well, what if the guy moves over 15 inches yep. in a 30 inch row? Every year? <laughs> there you okay. go. There's question three. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, so then it depends upon, uh, you know, again, are you trying to build or are you doing crop removal? So, you know, mobile mobile nutrients, um, you're probably going to use those up with the plant and uh, the rest of it's going to disappear over the 12 months. Um, immobile nutrients, you know, are going to sit there. So um, consistency, again, if you're moving over every year 15 inches and you get your pattern down it, the way you've been sampling, you won't have an issue after two or three years. So. With strip till, it's just about anything we can say is it's not going to be perfect the first year. You know, it's yeah. going to take you a year or two on everything. Yeah, and you know, the other thing that I try to remind people is the plant will pull up a tremendous amount of nutrients, and then there are a lot of nutrients left in the plant when you take the grain away. Well, what happens with that plant then? The, well, the plant is left. The nutrients get spread across the soil. So, I, I mean, there's going to be a little inconsistency, but but to your point, I, I mean, things are going to kind of even themselves out over time. So, uh, what else, Brent? we got just a little bit of time left here. Uh, anything else you wanted to talk about today when, when we discuss pulling soil tests, especially like in a strip-till environment? Um. Nothing in particular other than, like I said, be consistent and be patient with your results. Um, the first year, first two years, you may have some inconsistent uh, results going, well, this doesn't even make sense. Just give it a year, do it again. Um, you can't just soil test every four or five or ten years. Um, you know, nobody likes to go out and do it, and nobody likes to write the check to have it done for them. But it's probably, you know, one of the best paybacks you can get is to actually know what your soil is and what your crop needs. So, Yep, that's a great point. And, I, I mean, I have been on the farm my entire life. I live on our family farm even today. And I, what I was constantly in, what was ingrained into my head from my grandpa, my dad, everybody said, spend less money, figure out ways to save money. So nobody does want to write the check. But what I always try to focus on is, is it going to make me money in the end? I mean, just like buying a strip-till machine, is that going to make me money in the end? I mean, we really like strip-till. We really like soil testing. I figure out how to better invest my fertilizer dollars, and I can't do that without the soil test. Well, we've been talking to Brent Bruland with Environmental Tillage Systems. Brent, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Hey, have a great day. Thank you. Yep, you too. Let's head over to Nebraska. We've got Joe Sisko with us right now with Midwest Labs. Joe, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you, Darren, uh, for having me. I uh, I got the call, and I'm glad you're talking about soil sampling. Um, it's you know we're getting the 2020 crop out of the ground, and we're looking forward to next year. Um, I'm looking at some soil samples that were pulled in 2016. And these fields need to be rescheduled. They're, they were grid sampled. And uh, it's just that, you know, that cycle. We need to start looking ahead now. Yeah, boy, there's been so much that's happened since 2016. And I know exactly what you mean because I talk to a lot of farmers that say, well, I'm on a four-year program here. I've got a corn-soybean rotation. And so I go through two rotations and then I do it again. But it's it's a real challenge if you're just going to be putting on nutrients for crop removal and trying to feed that way. It's amazing to me when you get four years down the road how things are a little different than what you would have anticipated and certainly different in areas throughout the field that you'd identify with that grid sampling. 
Well, yes, and then uh, the tillage practices that we do. I mean, these these are long-term no-till fields. So I had I have a zero to six samples in front of me, and uh, you know the pH changes from five nine to seven on the quarter. You know, thirty two times or thirty four times. Um, you know, it averages maybe about six four or so. Um, but we want to know what that depth is so we can determine uh, an application of AgLime. And maybe AgLime, we should look at a 0 to 4 or 0 to 3 once in a while just to see in that no-till situation what's our actual surface doing. And uh, those are some considerations. Um, but the phosphate levels are the phosphate levels we need to address, um, you know, on the precision side because we have some 15 parts per million on the Bray 1 or the P1 up to uh, a 58 parts per million. So it's all those things need to be looked at because actually on this quarter we're looking at rotating it to alfalfa. So it's in oats this year. So it's in oats. We'll harvest those as hay, and then we'll get a lime application applied prior to the alfalfa seeding this fall. Yeah, it's nice when you've got that crop rotation going. You get You can plan some times like that like here you go you got a crop of oats so we can get them off early we can get out there and pull another soil sample if we need to at that point and get nutrients and soil amendments applied that's a good strategy when we look at another strategy farmers are using this and we're getting a lot of questions already about plant tissue analysis and one of the things that we like to see is a soil sample pulled in those areas that you're taking that plant tissue test in so we can kind of see, all right, what is the soil telling us? What are the plants telling us? And then try and make the best judgments from there. Do you get a lot of samples sent in that way where growers are sending in a soil sample to correspond with those tissue tests? Yes, we are. Um, especially um, in today's environment, we've, we've started a program called Shared Insights. And so this morning I was actually pulling my first week of Shared Insights that includes a soil sample and the tissue sample. So I I pinned it using my phone and an app. I pinned the spots that I'm pulling my average and I'm pull, pulling my high-yielding environment. And so I can come back to them next week. But my corn is in the V3 stage. I pulled a soil sample at 0 to 6. And then um, I went and pulled my 25, 25 to 30 plants because they're small. And I wanted to make sure I had enough plant material for the lab to run the plant complete, which is nitrogen and all the minerals, plus the molybdenum. And then, you know, I've made sure I had enough soil, and then that's it. We won't have any more soil until later in the fall. I think it's... Follow up with a... I think it's a Go good. Ahead. I think it's a good program too, uh, Joe. Like you talk about, it's planned. It's throughout the season. You're getting some new data throughout the season as things change. It's a program called Shared Insights that Midwest Labs is doing. You can find more details about that at MidwestLabs.com. And Joe, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. 
Stop losing money from your stored grain with the Endzone Fan Control System from FarmShop MFG. Hot spots and moisture in your bin can cost you thousands in lost revenue. The Endzone monitors outside conditions to run your fans exactly when you want them to, naturally bringing your grain to ideal temperature and humidity. Master bin management with the Endzone. For more information, visit farmshopmfg.com. Sound the froghorn. Because there's a better way to control frog eye leaf spot in your soybean fields. Froghorn fungicide from UPL. Froghorn not only has a unique name, it has two modes of action that deliver excellent disease control. With Froghorn, you get healthier soybeans and better yields at harvest time, and you won't be subject to strobe resistance. So, get Froghorn and keep frog eye leaf spot quiet all season long. To learn more, talk to your retailer or UPL sales representative. Always read and follow label directions. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2save3 is a service mark and Impact Z is a trademark owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about pulling your own soil tests and what the benefits may be there. We're also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Let's go to Illinois. We've got Mark on the line with us. Mark, how are you doing today? Great, thanks. Hey, my question for you guys is, and we've started doing uh, here the last four or five years, timing as far as when in the season we've gone from doing it in the fall, from doing it in the fall after we get the crop off, and we started testing now like in May, we'll go out on the bean ground and start pulling samples then so that we're ready to go once we take that crop off. Are you, do you prefer warmer soils? Do you find that you get different readings based on soil temperatures, time of year, and, and that? 
or you know how do you guys feel about that soil temperature really doesn't have much to do with it if the ground is completely frozen even it can technically still be done then it is no fun doing that though i do not advise it but i mean we don't care about fun what we care about is results and the results it really doesn't matter but when you say time of year yeah it's going to vary dramatically depending on the time of year and it all has to do with two main things. Number one is organic matter mineralization. So in other words, the release of more nutrients into your soil. And number two, utilization by crops and weeds. Now you could also throw a third thing in if you want to talk about leaching with rain and st- and, and that. But anyway, yeah, it's going to vary depending on the time of year. The reason why most people will pull the soil test right after harvest is they still want to fertilize yet in the fall or maybe in the spring, but then they've got this year's crop off. If you soil test in the summer, that's fine. You can do it, but then you basically have to look at, well, let's put it this way. You're guessing at two things. You're guessing at how much organic matter uh, got mineralized. And so how many nutrients did I get? How much free nitrogen, phosphorus, and sulfur came out of the the organic matter? And number two, we're looking at, all right, how about crop removal? What was crop removal? So, I mean, you can basically run the calculations with crop removal because there are charts out there, even like our Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app, you can say, all right, I had 200 bushel corn. I just pulled the grain off, left the stover. So I run the math and I have X number of pounds of NPK and so on that left the field. So it's it's not bad. And I can understand why you would want a soil test in the summer because you have time. In the fall, everything's rush, rush, rush. So I totally get it. And there are are some people that have done it. I'm not saying not to do it. I'm just saying we just don't know for sure. We're, we're, we're guessing at least a little bit. We're not maybe as close as what we would be if we tested in the fall or in the spring. Sure. Okay. I, I, I can see that. I just, I, I, or we were running into issues of by the time you pull the test, couple weeks to get the results back and get you know get it on and get your field work done oh i know the last couple years (laughs) has been a challenge yep so that's why we've kind of we've started trying to move forward and then yeah we count we try to calculate based on removal yeah uh you know of that crop as it comes off yeah yeah i was just curious did you hear you've heard both ways that or soil temperature can affect and i think it's more of what we are getting, you know, mineralized, like yes, you said. Correct. And, and at that point, yep. if you're seeing your phosphates and all that correctly. Yep, that's right. So, so yeah. Very I, good. Yeah. So, no, I wouldn't get too worried about it. If you want to do that, I totally get it. And especially for a lot of guys, you know, if you're a one-man show or let's say you have two people on the farm, I mean, let's let's face it, harvest time is going to be your busiest time of year, and you go, uh, how am I supposed to get my soil sampling done unless you've got a whole bunch of kids running around or something? I don't know how you're going to get it done if you're trying right. to do everything yourself. So, nope, I totally get it. Absolutely. Well, hey, Mark, thanks Very for the good. call. Yep, appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, guys. Yep. Let's head up to Manitoba. We've got Herb on with us right now. Herb, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So we're talking about soil sampling on today's show. Uh, how do you do it in Manitoba? Well, typically, uh, soil, soil sampling in our part of the world, we farm halfway between Winnipeg and the American border. It's composite soil sampling. Uh, the, for, the bulk, for the bulk of it, there may be some zone sampling, but a neighbor, I've heard of uh, one or two people doing some grid sampling, but essentially it's composite sampling, which we basically give it up on. 
You know, the composite sampling is one of those things where you get a baseline for the field, and we, we talk a lot about zone or zone sampling or grid sampling to try and get a, a closer feel for what's happening in smaller areas of the field. Are there some nutrients or, or pH issues that you're addressing for your farm? Well, we're, we've, we've just done some grid sampling. You know, we didn't get any done last fall. It was it's hard to do it in the mud, and when it's so, the two years to prior two years, it was so dry. It was very hard to get a core, but we've done some. And the the bottom line is, the variability is so high that you look at the composite soil sampling that's been done, and you say, well, you know, maybe we're just going to throw that out the window, and either we're going to do grid sampling or we're just going to run as baseline. Yeah, the variability is something we've noticed on our farm too. I I remember. I think the first piece of ground that Brian owned and, and we did some grid sampling out there and we had a five, one to over an eight in pH. And we thought, my goodness, it's almost hard to believe, but it, it was reality for us. And when we see that kind of variability, you're right. It's, it's tough to know exactly how to address that. And you mentioned the, the situation you guys have been having with weather the last few years. And you're right. If it's, if it's muddy out in the field, it's pretty hard to pull soil samples. And and uh, just just a minute ago, we were we're talking with another caller who said, I, I can't get my sample results back in time to do it after harvest and still have time to get out there before freeze up. I can only imagine that's a challenge for you in Manitoba as well. Well, that part worked OK. I mean, if we do that after the small grains, we can get this, this whole sampling done. One thing we did run into, we would, we've done a couple of variable rate experiments here but we have sent our samples down to Midwest Labs, and it appears as though they allow a lot of credit for the organic matter that we've got. And when we go with their recommendations, uh, we just run short of nitrogen. You can see that. In the, you can see that. Yeah, it's so interesting. That's interesting. You know, as, as you go further north, and Brian and I talk about this a lot. We talk about uh, in our plans, we'll figure 20 pounds usually of nitrogen is going to come available out of each 1% of organic matter. In Manitoba, though, and especially on a small grain crop, much of that isn't going to happen until late July into August. And you're right. It, it isn't going to get there soon enough in time for your crops. So I agree with you. I wonder, you know, long-term if that doesn't come available later, but but you could absolutely be right. Yeah, maybe it comes available in the fall and it's gone by the spring and didn't do you any good. Well, that's a... I guess the bottom line is that we, like I say, we did some, some variable rate fertilizing, and we did, we did, uh, we used Midwest's uh, recommendations. We made a, a map for that. That didn't seem to work out. If we had just simply added a little bit of nitrogen, it works a little bit better. The bottom line is with variable rate, there is so little being done here, and we've we've only done a couple of times a little bit. We just really. We're now very much at the beginning of a learning curve. Yeah, that's that's a good thing to, to bring up, too. There is a learning curve with all this, and it's something that if you're listening to the show today and, and you're hearing what Herb's talking about, you say, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in that same boat. I've been doing some composite sampling, but I see variability out in my field. I want to address it. Start with one field and work on one field at a time. Try and keep your expenses down because... At this day and age in agriculture, we, we definitely don't want to spend ourselves into the poorhouse. So start with a field and, and deal with it that way and then 
keep moving. I know sometimes Brian and I talk about all, all these things we're doing on our farm and we aren't, aren't doing so to, to make you think, Oh, we've got to do this on every single acre out there every year. But I think it's something just to consider for your farm and, and Herb, it's been great talking to you. I'm glad this is what you're looking at too, is, you know, I got to start looking at some of these things and, and uh, work my way up that learning curve. Well, you know, I would like to thank you people for encouraging us. I have, I've listened to you uh, gentlemen more than once. And you say, you know, what I pre- what, one of the things I really appreciate is you say, don't take my word for it, just go out and try something. <laughs> hey, I even say that to Brian. I, if he says, oh, this is how it's working for me, I want to see it on my ground too. Hey, Herb, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Sound the foghorn. Because there's a better way to control frog eye leaf spot in your soybean fields. Froghorn fungicide from UPL. Froghorn not only has a unique name, it has two modes of action that deliver excellent disease control. With Froghorn, you get healthier soybeans and better yields at harvest time, and you won't be subject to strobe resistance. So, get Froghorn and keep frog eye leaf spot quiet all season long. To learn more, talk to your retailer or UPL sales representative. Always read and follow label directions. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Your land is a legacy, a challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations. At Corteva AgriScience, we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. Revitech Fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic herbicides from Atticus LLC. Tough broadleaf weeds are a hassle, but they're no match for Cavallo from Atticus. Cavallo delivers fast, contact, and residual control so your corn, soybean, and sorghum crops can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions.
You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Martin studio and talking about pulling your own soil test. It's been interesting just hearing how other farmers are doing things, some of the considerations that they've got, certainly on your own farm. You're probably doing something that you've been doing for a little while, but I do, I do caution you. Take a look at your program and think about what could you do to make it better. I know one thing that we did with some of the variable farm ground, well, really a lot of variable farm ground that we're on, is narrow up the zones just a little bit more. So our grids are down to one acre on a lot of our farm. Just looking for some of that variability, especially when it comes to adjusting pH, it, it really does make a big difference across our farm. And I, I know Herb had made a comment, and I think Joe Cisco had made a comment with Midwest Labs that, yep, here's this field. We got a bunch of different samples. When you average it out, our pH was okay, but when we look at some of those individual spots, it really varies. And especially with a crop like alfalfa, if you're coming in with that, it's so pH sensitive. If you've got pHs that are getting too low, the lime is really, really important. So you want to make sure you're putting it out in the right spots. All right, getting some other questions in as well for the Ag PhD mailbag. Let's dive into those. It's the mailbag. Got one from AJ, and all he says, Brian, is... R.I.P. Dicamba 2020. Well, not exactly. And and that's one of the things that we talked about. I think it was a little bit yesterday. Just so we're clear, uh, Tavium is still approved for use over the top of Extend Crops. That's Dicamba plus Dual. You can also use all the old formulations of Dicamba and anything that contained Dicamba. There are only three products that got pulled and that's Extendamax, Ingenia, and Fexapan. And actually, as a farmer, you can continue to use them if you have them on hand for this season to finish up. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I, we could talk about the dicamba thing all day. It's very, very, very frustrating to me. And I don't see how a court can make a science-based decision. That doesn't even make sense. Something's got to change. Right, thanks for the feedback, AJ. Got one from JE, and I, oh, I almost hate to bring this one up, but JE says, I'm wondering if you could explain what exactly you mean by tile. That is a term that we don't use in our area. Just kind of curious what tile is. Yeah, so the term started, I don't even know when, a hundred years ago or maybe more. Um, there, But today, when we talk about tile, what we're typically talking about is plastic pipe that gets put in the ground that's got some little holes in it so the water can get into the pipe and then inside the pipe there is room for that water to easily flow out of a field be the same type of stuff that you put around your house that goes into your sump pump all right thanks for that question je got one from luke and he said i'd like to ask you a question is turnip a bad choice for cover crop if you want to cut it off at the ground level and just leave the root to rot in the ground to provide nutrients and sugar. Would turnip be bad for this because it does not connect to mycorrhizal fungi, being a brassica, and leaving the root in the ground, would you risk club root? Okay, well, first of all, turnip actually does do a little bit for mycorrhizal fungi. Radish doesn't, but turnip's not great. And, you know, there are many benefits you can get out of a cover crop, I just don't know what all what benefits you're really after. Okay, so if you want to put turnips in the ground, 
then usually the reason why guys will do it is to hopefully bust up some compaction down in the soil. Now, in terms of will you have more club rot, will you have more disease just in general in your next crop? You know, I don't know. That That's a good question. I've never seen any studies showing that I would have more. But, I, I mean, it, it's obviously going to depend on what you're going to plant next. As just a general statement, let's put it this way. Anytime we're going to raise a grass crop next, let's say it's corn, do you really want wheat or oats to be your cover crop? I mean, you can, but not really. I mean, if disease was your number one thing you're worried about, because now you're going from a grass to a grass. So just like, I mean, with turnips, would you want to raise another brassica, let's say, as your actual cash crop next, right after you put turnips in the ground? Probably not. You're probably more likely to have disease issues. So you always want to be thinking about rotation, both with your cash crop and with your cover crops. All right. Thanks for the question. I get one from Andy here. He said, if you are forced to burn residue on your farm ground, I know you lose some nutrients. <laughs> a lot. What happens uh, with the carbon, obviously the carbon you're burning off, but what happens with, with the various nutrients when you're burning? Do you lose all of them? Are no. you able to salvage some? Sure. So let's see. I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head. With the nitrogen that's left in the residue that gets burned. Now, that does not mean your entire soil's nitrogen, okay? It's just the residue that gets burned, and whatever it would have for nitrogen in there, it's like 99% gone. With P and K, I believe the number is right around a third. You lose a third. Uh, I, I, I think that's right. I could, I could look at it. I just, well, if you would have asked too, me the question the, during the break, the I thing had too, my, he, one minute asked, to look up my notes. Well, go but, ahead. Go ahead and look up your notes because okay. the question is, is basically following up on a, a conversation that we're having with carbon to nitrogen ratio. And I would say this, the carbon that's laying on top of the ground, not a whole lot of that ends up becoming organic matter down the road. But it is something that we have to consider because if you're applying nitrogen and you've got tons and tons and tons of corn stalks or wheat straw or something on top of the ground, certainly the microbes that are trying to break those stalks down are going to need more nitrogen to deal with that situation. And if you completely got rid of all that residue on top of the ground, would there be less nitrogen tie-up? There's no question. There would be. And it's just like... If you look at corn-on-corn corn situations where that residue really builds up over multiple years, definitely you need more nitrogen in those situations where you wouldn't in a situation of coming off of soybeans or you've done soybeans and then conventionally tilled in the fall. There's virtually no residue left on top of the ground. So that, that does make a big difference. And the burning thing, I know as soon as I started mentioning that to Brian, he's like, oh, no, not burning. But, you know, I see some of the situations that have happened with the flooding and so forth. I, I've got some ground right along the river, too. It's it's a okay. challenge when you have all the stocks on the whole field wash into the last few acres. Yeah, what are you going to do with that? Yeah, so here's the reason why we don't like burning residue. You lose roughly 98% of your nitrogen, 24% of your phosphorus, 35% of your potassium, and on the sulfur, you lose 75%. And again, that's not in all your soil. That's only in the residue, what was left of these nutrients in the residue. So again, nitrogen, you lose 98%, phosphorus, 24%, potassium, 35%, and sulfur, 75%. So it amounts to dollars and dollars and dollars per acre of nutrients that just go up in the air. 
So that's the reason why if you can avoid burning, you're better off because you save those dollars in the field. Okay. Uh, thanks for that question. I got some feedback from Jerry here. He said, just wanted to let you know, Brian and Darren are two great friends of the American farmer. Best program I've seen in my 72 years addressing the real issues in agriculture. Hey, thank you so much, Jerry. You got in, he's got even more kind words than that. That's, that's really nice when we, we hear some feedback like that. We do appreciate it. Then we also get some criticism too. Here's one from Valerie, Brian. She said, I love watching your TV show, but there seem to be so many commercials. They're turning me off. Can you please back off on the commercials? This is Val from Iowa. Well, Val, we haven't changed that at all in 22 years nope. that I'm aware of. No, we really haven't. Now, now, there are some local stations that will do some different things, but I don't think the actual in-show content, they, they, no. they're only allowed to run so many. Yeah, so it really hasn't changed um, ever that I can think of. So it, it's always been about the same. And I, I guess I will just say this with the commercials. We appreciate our commercial sponsors because without that, we're not on the air. Well, that's true. The other thing that you can always do, and this is what I suggest sometimes with our radio show too, is you can record it. Then you can fast forward through when Brian's talking and just get to the good stuff. And, you know, you could always do that with television programs too. You could record it, skip over those commercials but if we, you like, but, but we, we really have to like say, you to watch those. <laughs> well, yes, we want you to support our commercial sponsors so we can stay on the air. All right, we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag. We'll be right back after this. Hey Adam, new drone? Not just any drone. I mounted a laser on it to take out weeds. Look out for that tree! In the power lines! Oh, it's in for the house. There's a simpler way to protect spring wheat from weeds. Perfect Match Herbicide. The broadest spectrum weed and grass control in one product. Learn more at perfectmatchherbicide.com. Always read and follow label directions. The laser. Oh my goodness, did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rows? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean, weed-free his entire field looked. I'm like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetuo, and it's burned down and long-lasting residual powers making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetuo's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. How much money are you leaving in the bin? Get your grain in ideal condition with the Grain Temp Guard Monitoring System from FarmShop MFG. And with deep preseason discounts on all Grain Temp Guard units, now is the best time to upgrade. Order today at farmshopmfg.com. 
If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high-yield toolbox. When it comes to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Panther, Credit Extreme, and Cheetah for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these challenging times, we know you're under pressure. New Farm's here to help. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, where we take your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or by email, radio at agphd.com. Got an email from Matt, and Matt says, my email's all over the place, but hey, so is farming. I want to talk just a little bit about my fall fertility program and get things in line. My cation exchange capacities range in the 19 to 24 area, and most of my pH is on the lower side in the 5.5 to 6.8 range on rented ground. I know that some of my ground needs drainage, but unfortunately it's rented, and I haven't got landlords that want to work with me. Now, that may be the first thing that you might want to say, Brian. He said, on the on the ground that I own, he said, I'm, I'm liming to appropriate levels and, and taking care of those things. How, how would you recommend, first thing, how would you recommend working with landlords if you're is renting Is that his ground? question or is that your question? Well, it's my question. Well, what are, what's his question? He's got several fertility questions here, but most of them are, I'm trying to go cheap on rented ground. But if he could get the ground tiled and fix some of his issues that he's got, I, I just thought maybe he'd give Doesn't solve 30 seconds on. Yeah, okay. All right. So first well, of all. It, it just kind of sets the table. If you say, no, all right, no. here's the biggest expense I'm going to have on that farm is tiling. And if I can get him to work with me on tiling that may cost hundreds of dollars an acre, then, hey, how about on this fertility stuff? That, that may be a little bit less than that. I realize some of the fertility things may get to be that much too, but but seemingly lower dollar things, maybe we can work together on those as well. <laughs> Sounds like wishful thinking. I'm optimistic. But let, let's put it this way. Why I said it doesn't solve the problem, I, I get that drainage is a problem, but the problem is long-term lease. I, I mean, how, how many years do you have to recover that money? If you have a one-year contract, you can't do any of this. But what you could do is go to the landlord and say, look, we've got a drainage problem here. If you put some, if you're willing to put some tile into the ground, it will improve the value of your land. And you know what? I'll pay you more for rent. If you're willing to do that, the landlord most of the time will put the tile in the ground. And I've done that and it works fine. I mean, because let's face it, if they put tile in the ground, you should be able to raise more crop, which means you should be able to pay a little more rent. I'm not saying exorbitant amounts more rent, but just a little bit in most cases. Sure, I'm willing to do that. And most people are. The other way to handle it that we've done, let's see, with one or two landlords is 
if you say, all right, I would like a five-year lease or an eight-year lease or a 10-year lease, and I'll spend the money on the tile, but I got to have some years to recover it. So can we do a fixed rent contract for the next five, eight, 10 years? And keep in mind, I'm putting money into your ground, making your ground more valuable. I'm still going to rent it at a decent price, but it's just, I got to have some time and a fair rent to be able to recover that enormous investment that I just put into your ground. Okay, so that's the drainage side. The fertility side, you can handle it the same way if you would like to, to say, all right, Mr. or Miss or Mrs. Landlord, here are your soil test results. Here are the target levels. If I want to raise, let's say, 300 bushel corn or 250 bushel corn or whatever it is. So you can see I've got an enormous gap here. The problem is I can fertilize to those levels, but I'm not going to use all that fertilizer in one year. So again, you could go to, can I get a three-year lease, five-year lease, eight-year lease, 10-year lease? Or the other way to handle it is you say, I'll tell you what I'll do. If you're willing to spend the money to get the fertility levels up to where they should be on all these things, and here's what you'd have to spend, I'm willing to pay you X amount more rent for each of the next few years, and I will maintain those levels. So there, there are ways to get this work through. I have done these things with landlords. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying everybody agrees to it, but this absolutely can be done. So what, what were the specific fertility questions? Okay. So first of all, potassium. He said in the past he's run potassium sulfate, but it's really expensive. Yeah, he's wondering expensive. in a strip till, if he's going with a shanked strip till rig, yep. about five to six inches deep is okay. what he's saying. All right. He's wondering, is 50 to 70 units of K with potassium chloride too much to put in a strip? No, we put on several hundred pounds and... I mean, in similar cation exchange capacity soils, you have 19 to 24. Or yeah, that's that, that's kind of in our range too. And we've done hundreds of pounds and had no problem. Right. You oh, said- but I will say five to six inches is relatively shallow. Ideally, I'd like you to be down into the eight to ten inch range if you could. That'll help your roots. It'll help safen the fertilizer also. But I mean, you're not doing much fertilizer at all. I wouldn't get too worried about it at five to six. If you want to do that, fine. I just like going deeper because now I've literally eliminated compaction down to the bottom of my trench. Go ahead. All right. Then he said with sulfur, he has been using some elemental sulfur, 20 to 35 units in the strip. He's also run a 50-50 blend of AMS and elemental to get 25 to 35 units. Just wondering, is 35 units of sulfur in the strips safe? Yes. And then he said, speaking of lime, have you put Pell lime in a strip before? I'm trying to be cost effective here on this rented ground. No, but let's put it this way. When he said, you you told me 5.5 to 6.8 pH. Correct. And are we talking corn and soybeans? What did we say? He did not say what the crop rotation is. And the reason why I'm asking is because every crop needs a little, could need a little bit different pH level. So for example, if he's a blueberry farmer, he he might want to be at five or five and a half pH. If he's an alfalfa producer, he probably wants to be up near seven if if alfalfa is in his rotation at all. Assuming it's corn and soybeans, as long as you're at six or better, you're probably fine, especially in rented ground. So let's put it this way. Um, It might not cost you much money to broadcast it, number one, especially if you had a three-year lease or five-year lease, you're good. If you want to do some in the strip, be very careful because here's what's going to end up happening. If you overdo it, then you've jacked the pH, you lower your nutrient availability in the strip, and now you've got more problems. So in between the row, you're too low. In the row, you're too high. 
that's not good. So if you're going to do any in the strip, it better be a tiny amount. All right. Thanks for the questions, Matt. We really appreciate it. Got a water sample in. This one comes from Randy, and he said, here's an analysis of my well water. The only thing that I notice on it offhand is that the calcium looks like it could potentially be a problem. I'm mainly concerned about using it for spray water to put herbicides and fungicides out across my farm. Okay, so let's see. I'm looking at pH. He's got a 7.5 pH. Don't love that. Uh, calcium, let's well, see, okay, and Here's, here's one of the things. When you look at what pH you need to drive things into plants, typically as long as your herbicide or fungicide or whatever you're using doesn't have a negative interaction in the spray solution with lower pH, we'd like to see that pH down into the fives, maybe a mid-five to mid-sixes to kind of mimic what the pH is as you go down that corn or soybean plants. So that would be something interesting for you is just take some samples of your corn and soybean plant, find out what the pH is at various spots as you move down that plant. But what our experience has been is lowering that pH has helped us a little bit. Okay. So anyway, calcium, 81 parts per million, magnesium, five parts per million, which is pretty low. Chloride, six parts per million, which isn't bad. Iron, 0.05 parts per million, which is pretty good. And then copper, less than 0.01, which is real good. So, I mean, it's basically just a calcium issue that you've got there and pH. So if you want to do some correction, that is fine. I would say that probably will give you some benefit. And it's going to depend on what exactly you're spraying, on, you know, when it comes to that pH deal. So fungicides, I, I literally just sent something out to a bunch of agronomists yesterday um, There's some studies done over in sugar beet country showing where they'd used fungicides and they got the pH down. Ideally, we're talking five and a half or so, maybe five. Then they're getting better response out of the fungicide. We're also seeing that with foliar nutrients. So my point is, if it's just a herbicide, it might not be the end of the world, depending on which herbicide it is. But if it's nutrients, if it's fungicide, I can almost guarantee you lowering that pH would be helpful for you. And certainly tying up more of your calcium would be a good thing because calcium can tie up a lot of crop protection products. So it renders them at least partially ineffective, not completely ineffective. But I mean, like I usually tell people, let's say you're going out with a quart of glyphosate. You got 32 ounces. Okay, well, would you like to get all 32 ounces to work for you? Probably. Rather than getting the equivalent of 29 ounces or 26 or 22, that's what happens when some of these hard water ions tie up your spray. Thanks for all the questions today. It's really fun to get into a variety of topics here, and that's a, a great way to get that conversation started. Thanks for listening to our program on soil sampling, and be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now, stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio. <laughs>